Ecclesiastes chapter number 12. Ecclesiastes chapter number 12 we'll read in a moment verse number 13 before then would you bow with me as we seek our Father's face our Father at best we are dull of hearing seeing seeking after we become a bond servant to so many things. I know the Lord Jesus resides somewhere in the distant background in our minds. Lord, we've got to be honest in our hearts. I pray that you might have mercy upon us. You might bring us from such a pitiful low state, endear your Son to us, cleanse our hearts, O God, and work in them to will and to do of thy good pleasure. And help us, even now, in personal preparation, prayer, to seek thy face, to hear thee, and to walk out with a greater determination, saying, Lord, Here's my life. Here I am. And take it. Make me and my life what it ought to be. Yes, we all want to hear that sweet sound on our dying beds. But Lord, unless we live daily to that end, though we make it into heaven, our departure here could be in turmoil. Have mercy upon us. Glorify your Son. Help the children. 
thy children and these that do not yet know nor understand or in honesty care about their future state. Help, Lord, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Ecclesiastes 12, verse number 13, summed up so well by Solomon. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Now that leaves nothing out. Everything. Fear God and keep His commandments. Fear God and keep His commandments. You want to know what your whole duty to God is? That's it, stated simply in the language of the Spirit of God to your heart. I told you last week that I was asked by one that was not here, so I didn't want your mind running around trying to figure out who it might be, but I was asked by one to give some verses that this person could look up and study as to the purpose of my existence. I thought it was a tremendous question. I thought it was one that everybody ought to ask. Why am I here? What's your purpose? Why did God put you here? I could have gone to the old Westminster larger catechism, you know, that that they developed to catechize their children. They'd, They'd put out a bunch of questions and then they'd give the answers that parents were to go over. And one of the questions they asked was, what is the chief and highest end of man? And of course they went on to answer that, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now I could have given you that and taken off from there, but this thing, and I don't know anything about making clothes and how they do it today, but the older generation, they would knit a lot of of different things. And it'd be one thread. If you got the end of that thread and, uh, and you began pulling on it, then after yards and yards and yards of material or of, of whatever they were using, whatever thread, all of it would come unraveled and what they had made 
would be back again astray. But you get to looking at God and you get a hold of one string, one little thread. And you start pulling on it and you never get to the end. You unravel and unravel all your lifetime. But you never come to the conclusion of the whole matter. Why am I here? And what is the purpose of my existence? Now, had I been asked that question by one that was wanting me to try to prove that there was a creator, I would have spent no time, none. Probably would not have even replied. What's the purpose of your existence? Before I begin, and I don't know how far I will get in trying to answer that, let me ask you this question, how did you get here? I'm not talking about the biological aspect of your birth. You all in age know that. But beyond, beyond that aspect, if we consider, how did you get here? You must either say fate, or a supreme being. Now, since many have ruled out God from their world, and I don't care if in your head you say and in your head you believe that there is a God, how is that in your life? Or you don't really believe there is a God if your life does not come up to that that you say you believe. But since many have ruled out God both in their heads and in their actions, they've got to admit, I exist merely by fate. I was born by fate. Even if parents planned, your mother could have, have, could have had an accident and not bring you to a timely, lively birth. Or your mother could have decided, her and your dad could have decided, nah, no children. And she could have had you aborted. Or they could have wanted children you mourned and yet never reached adulthood. And that still awaits some of you. You're in the process of reaching adulthood. Don't tell me that you're 17, 18, or even 20. And you're an adult. No, you're not. 
Now Israel, the men in Israel were old enough at 20 to serve, to fight. But to enter into the service of God, they had to be 30 years of, old, 30 years of age. So you're not yet an adult if you're a teenager or a year or two removed from being a teenager. I told you what the old preacher said that made me mad. That anybody under 30 years of age didn't have sense enough to pound sand in a rat hole. And I thought, well, he doesn't know me. I'm fairly intelligent. But he may have known more than I thought after I crossed the boundaries of middle age. So either by faith or by a creator, you're here. This old world exists either because there was a creator or because of evolution. Charles Darwin, I think it was 1857, somewhere in that area, if I missed the year, came out with what he called his theory of the origin of species. And from that sprang evolution. And he said on it, first of all, he was in the clergy studying to be a minister in the Church of England. And at the age of 22, he dropped out of that profession and began his study and became a naturalist. But he said on his deathbed, well, I'm still getting ahead of myself. On his deathbed, he had a lady that would come and read to him daily out of the New Testament. And he had a group of young girls in a Sunday school class nearby. They came and sang to him on the green hills by and by. He said, I'll regret forever writing that book, putting that out, The Origin of Species. And you know that by that teaching we all got here by evolution. The little four-legged creature crawled out of the ocean and walked around, ever how the earth got here, walked around on the earth, got tired of living in the sea, and began using his back legs, and the more he used them, the stronger they got, and his front legs got, front legs got weaker and weaker, to one day he decided, I don't need front legs anymore, so he just pulled those off, and he started walking upright. And it continued to evolve, and, and one day he got to thinking, well, I'd look better off in a suit. So he gathered some flack and some wool. But oh, wait a minute. 
before he could shear a sheep, a sheep had to evolve from something to become that little animal that produced the wool that he that he wanted to get and and ever how they worked that to get material, he wanted a suit. One day he was walking around in this new suit that he had and he, and he looked up to the heavens and he said, Thank God I'm a man at last. That's about how evolutionists believe. Well, the passage that I told the fellows we'd begin with, Acts number 17. I still have the question in the back of my, my mind. Just want you to know how you got here. If you rule out evolution and you rule out fate, that brings you back. You're here because of a creator. Acts chapter 17, beginning with verse number 25. Paul speaking about God to those that did not know. They told him, verse number 25, Neither is worship with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. And hath made of one blood Adam and Eve, all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. I think Malachi 2.10 would be a good cross-reference to that. Have we not all one Father? Yes. Hath not one God created us all? The answer again is yes. Made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. But before you ever got here, or before Adam was ever here, God determined when you'd get here, the times. He pointed that, and before God ever created Adam, made Adam, He determined the bounds, not only of Adam, but of all his offspring. And before, before the nation Israel was ever formed, for there was no Jew, there was no man, God determined the bounds according to the nations. So God determined when you'd get here, where you'd be when you got here, God limited it, limited your bounds. And a simpler illustration, you know that there are these lines that you can bury at the outer boundaries of your your lawn or wherever. Now once your dog finds out what happens if he crosses that, he'll quit crossing it. Well, God marked out your boundaries. But He did it to this end, verse 27, that they should seek the Lord 
if happily they might steal after him and find him, though it be not far from every one of us, we may not realize God is here. He may seem in your mind as a non-existing entity or a million miles away, but God's nearer than you than the one sitting by you. Don't care where you sense it or not. That's how near. He's not far from every one of us. Verse 28, For in Him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. Now your presence here this day now you younger ones were were forced to be here, but those of you that could have or didn't want to, your presence here testifies that you believe that there is a God. And you believing that there is a God, everything, everything begins here. You sitting here on these pews, you being here in our world, you living today, you having reached the age that you have, everything begins in God and runs back to God. Just like Genesis 1, 1, in beginning God, not the beginning of God. He always has been. But in the beginning when God would bring everything out into existence, into the physical realm. Before anything ever existed, man, woman, anything, there was God. Before ever a little bird flew in the air, there was no air for it to fly in. Or ever a fish, there was no water for it to live in. Before ever there was a human, there was no ground for him to walk upon. There were no plants that he could gather from to sustain his life. There was no water here. There was nothing, just God. There were no planets, no sun, no moon around some of them, no other galaxies, there was nothing but God. No angels, good or evil, no devil, just God. Now if you can get back that far, for just a moment, just God. For there's nothing in your world, nothing. No family, no job, no career, no friends, 
nothing, nothing exists but God. You get that far back, you have a being that you can talk to. That you can listen to. That you can sit quietly before and have Him make Himself known unto you. Love has become a cheap term in our society. If you can get that far back, you'd have an expression of the love of God. To your heart. Get that far back where you've got no beauties. I'm talking about beauties even beyond punching the clock from eight to four, seven to seven, or whenever. No beauties, no physical beauties. I'm talking about duties even as a Christian. None. Getting that far back banishes, goes away with your Bible. Sitting on a pew. Abraham never had any of that. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, none of them. You'd be a thought of the Apostle Paul. He's writing that last letter to Timothy. He said, Do your best to get down here where I am. I'm sitting in a cold dungeon, bars all around me. And I need my coat. I need something to take care of the physical. And I need my books, something to take care of the mental. And especially the parchments. I need my Bible. You want to say, Paul, what were you doing traveling without your Bible? Well, sometimes... You get beyond the written word to the living word. Your Bible is like a letter from your husband that's been deployed overseas for two, three years. Only communication, this is before there was... Telephone, FaceTime. Only communication is a letter. And you sit there and you read that letter and you read it over and over. In spare time, you're trying to read beyond the lines because you love your husband. And you want him to find out the expression of his being in his heart. 
So you read that letter until you get the next one. You fold that and you put it in a safe place and you read the next one over and over. But one day your husband comes home. Now here's where we are, if you're not careful. We say to him, why don't you sit here? I want to go out and sit in the swing and read your last letter. Why would you do that? All the letter was, was to inform you of how he was doing and of how he felt. Now you've got him in person. Folk, we got to get beyond the written word. I'm talking about getting that far back when you don't have a Bible, you don't have a church, you don't have a preacher. Everything is banished. Everything. There you sit in adoration. Love bursting forth that you cannot contain. There you sit in awe that this almighty God would allow you into his presence. There is like any place on earth you've ever found or any condition. The desires and longings within are met and filled to an overflow. And you know why you're always doing? Because you're never satisfied within. You know why you can't get quiet? Because there is an emptiness within that nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing can fill. There, everything gone. No awareness of sin, just a peacefulness. But let me tell you, young folks. Next year is not going to bring into your life that which will bring complete satisfaction. It's not going to do it. You can fool yourself, but it's not going to do it. But there just God and you. There is such a peacefulness surpassing all things. Because actually there... No other things exist. Now you're beginning. You're beginning to understand. I don't know if any of you got there or not. Or just on the outskirts of getting there. But if you ever get there, you're beginning to understand the reason you're here. For a long time before you ever got here, God in the eternal counsel... And wisdom and love determined that you might be a vessel wherein he could make known the riches of his glory. If you've got a heart that in any way longs after God through Christ, your vessel being made fit to display his glory. Ephesians 1, and the riches of His grace.
You're thinking now, well, what about unsaved man getting there? Unsaved man has no desire to get to God, none whatsoever. And he never will unless God quickens, awakens, brings out of death. You say, I'm not dead. If you're not in Christ, you're dead. D-E-A-D, dead. Adam, the day you eat the fruit of the the fruit that I forbid you eat, that day you die. You know what the prodigal son said in Luke 16 to the elder brother that was over there pouting because his father had made a feast. He said, I don't know what I don't know your, what your trouble is, what your problem is. This thy brother that was dead. He was down there eating in the hog pen, but he was dead. You here without God, you are dead. There's nothing within that desires a pursuit of God. Adam, a living, breathing human being, walked out, walked out a dead man. So don't think about, well, what of the unsaved man getting back to nothing but God? He won't ever get there. He has no desire to get there. But now, secondly, in getting back to God, there's nothing. How often can you pray when there is nothing in your mind except God? It's not often, is it? But in those times when you can get back to God and everything else is in a state of suspension or non-existence, there's another being in your world brought before your eyes. Now the first awareness you have of ever being, of ever being quickened or as the prodigal son, he came to himself. First evidence you'll ever have is that of the holiness of God. If you ever find out something about a holy God, secondly, you'll find something you've never known before, an awareness of your sinfulness. And that second person, that's there on the right hand nothing but God that one brought into your life is the grandest the loveliest the most glorious being that there has or ever will be his name is called Jesus of Nazareth he towers above job, above friends, above money, above position in life, and yes, even above the closest of relationships. Listen to what this man said. If you love father, mother, son, or daughter, 
Yea, even your own life more than me. You're not worthy of me. So I'll tell you what God will do. He'll take everything away from you. Everything. And then when he gets... When he gets your heart fixed and right, he'll bring everything back. Everything. That's godly and worthy of his honor. And, and he'll bring it back in a richer form than ever you knew before. God will take that child away from you until God's got the complete heart. Then when God's got everything about you, He'll bring that, He'll bring that baby back. He said, now, you had your child back. But you better not let that child come between you and me. And when you see all this, all relationships become richer and fuller and more meaning, have more meaning in them. Standing there, gazing upon God, you know that that God, that God enabled you through His Son, by His Spirit, to be there. That that one on the throne at the right hand of God is called a daysman. One that can stand between the holy God and me, a sinner, is called an ambassador. One that brought peace down from God. And then when he converted you, the peace of God filled your soul. There on that throne is the sinless law fulfiller. The law said, do this and you shall live. And I tried and I found out I can't. Then God said, look upon my son. He fulfilled it. There on the throne at the right hand of Almighty God, there's one that took your place. He's called the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, God's too holy for you to look upon. Even holy Moses, God said, Moses, you can't see my face and live. Tell you what I'll do, I'll put you in the cleft of the rocks. I'll pass by. And when I pass by, I'll remove my hands and you'll see my hinder parts. Now, if you'll go back and read what Moses saw. As God passed by, he proclaimed his sovereignty. I'll be merciful to whom I will be merciful. If you ever see this God, and you ever get near this God... It's due to God. All of God. He's too holy for you to look upon, but He's also too holy to look upon you. I think John mentioned Psalm 51. If you'll turn back, Psalm 51. Verse number 5. I'm not going to get anywhere near. 
Let's just go. David acknowledges his sin. And he said, Against thee and thee only. David, aren't you forgetting Bathsheba? Aren't you forgetting about your dead baby? Aren't you forgetting about Uriah? No, he didn't forget about them. He's just right now in the place where it's just God and David. And all that's before him is his sin. Not the effect of that sin on others. His sin. And it gets to the heart of the matter in verse number 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin, wish this generation could come to know that. In sin, did my mother conceive me. Some children are so ruined by parents that they never become sinners. Mom and dads, if you're here and you do that to your child, you've done a cruel misdeed. They're just little sinners. I know they're lovable little creatures. But just hold on to that thought for a few years. You'll find out sin within is going to manifest itself. I was shaping in sin. and then they, You need to tell them. You need for them to understand. They got one hope. Because they are sinners. I was shaping in iniquity and in sin. Did my mother conceive me? I told you, God's too holy for you to look upon. Us being in, the, in this condition, and right now even in Christ, God's too holy for you to look upon. But in our sinful state, God's too holy to look upon us. Back up, 113, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and you cannot look on iniquity. You know how God had to look on you through His Son. You know where you were when Christ was hanging on that cross? In his heart. There, there he 
I, my God, my God, you'll find him throughout all the Gospels referring to his father. But up here, his father has turned his face, and the only thing he's got left is God on the throne. You know how God could look upon you? By turning his back. Can't look. He's of pure eyes and to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. And that's what Christ was. For there on the cross God imputed to his account every sin of every person that would be in glory. And God said, you're just too sinful for me to look upon. And God hid his face. You didn't get here because some little creature crawled out of the sea. And kept evolving until he become the head of a giant corporation riding in his $200,000 car and, and wearing a $20,000-$30,000 suit every day. Mm-hmm. You got here not because we evolved, but because God. Education. You've got to try to offset moms and dads' education for the main part. Most every college now is headed already in the liberal mode. And that's what they're turning out. Young minds trained as they would have them think. How they need you ever before them. I don't know what it is now, and it, I'm sure that it had dropped. When I, when I finished school, if you got an A, you made 94 or above. And the B was 86 or 87 to 93. And we just kept dropping it, dropping it, dropping it. Well, I'm off, I'm off the topic. Of course, I do that. But you got here 
are here because of God. Solely because of God. And you'll depart this old life the moment that he set the watch to stop turning. That's when you're going to depart. Might be today, might be 20 years. Might be 40, don't know. But you're here because of God. And I guess summing it all up. Point number one. Your existence here not only is because of God, but for God. Hope to go further with that. There's, there's other reasons beyond you're here for God and His glory. We'll see what the Lord has.